This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here, welcoming you to this week's Sunday Chops. Welcome. Nice to have you. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are all about the women here at Standard Issue. So, a play written by a woman, directed by a woman, with a strong female lead and a creative team of loads of women, couldn't be more a strasser. Q Camp Siegfried, a brand new play written by Bess Wall, directed by Katie Rudd and opening at the Old Vic on Tuesday the 7th of September. So here's the blurb. As the world unknowingly sits on the brink of the Second World War, girl meets boy at a summer camp on Long Island, exclusively for American youth of German descent. The total headspin of first love, the search for identity and belonging, gives way to the camp's real aim, the preaching of Nazi ideology that will ultimately threaten to destroy them and set the worldwide stage for global atrocity, devastation and genocide. I mean, yeah, of course we were interested in talking about that. And so I caught up with writer Bess Wall and director Katie Rudd to learn about the real Camp Siegfried, which actually existed, and to talk about what happens when all-consuming love meets all-consuming ideology. Camp Siegfried runs until October the 30th and you can get tickets from oldvictheatre.com. Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by playwright Bess Wall. Bess, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Now then, Bess, I've got you for a short amount of time because you're super busy with something very exciting and that is your new play, Camp Siegfried. And we're going to talk about the power and danger of ideology, which, you know, is a big part of that. But before we get to that, we are chatting the day after draconian abortion law came into play in Texas. I just wondered, how does America feel for women at the moment? Um, not good. Not good. It's terrifying and sad and disheartening to see that after so many years, we are still fighting the same fights and things are still so retrograde in so many ways. Um, and um, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. You know, my, my hope is that some of these measures and, and a lot of what's been going on in America over the past four years of Donald Trump and the rise of a really radical and aggressive right wing. Uh, my hope is that it's sort of this last gasp of, of people trying to hold on to power that they know they're losing. But I don't know if that's just seeing the glass half full. When something's in its death throes, the thrashing gets much more violent and it feels like it might be that, right? It might be. That's my hope. That is my hope. I mean, Gloria Steinem talks a lot about how abuse in the home gets worse right before the wife is about to leave, <laughs> you know, right as the abuser knows that his power is threatened, he grabs onto it more strongly. And and I, I hope that that's part of what's happening in America right now, which means that also a big change is afoot because there is so much incredible change happening and new conversation happening. So that's how I'm hoping that um, things play out, but it, it's really scary and it's just incredibly sad for so many people. And to think about 
how many people's lives will be affected by this new law and and how how frustrating it is for women to not be considered full human beings after all this time absolutely shocking and as ever with these kind of laws and these kind of movements it is poor minority and disabled women who are going to be affected the most yeah i'm in the uk right now at the old vic working on camp siegfried and i I was getting texts all last night from friends just saying, like, can you believe this? And it's just so terrible. And, um, you know, people really feel, I think, like, for all the progress that we've made, these things just kind of kick you in the face over and over. And um, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's poor and uh, minority women who are going to suffer. And um, it's just not fair. Okay, not meaning to be glib, but let's talk about Nazis. So... <laughs> What a great segue. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> camp Siegfried was a real summer camp that taught Nazi ideology in the 1930s on Long Island in New York. According to the Washington Post, the purpose of Camp Siegfried was to, quote, raise the future leaders of America and make sure they were steeped in Nazi ideas. I hadn't heard of it before. I'd love to know how it came to your attention. Well, a lot of people in America haven't heard of it either. It's really an untold piece of American history. And it came to my attention in sort of a, a random way. I was staying in a rental house out on Long Island last summer during the pandemic, so 2020. And I was staying not far from where Camp Siegfried was. So I, I started sort of researching the area and looking around. I wasn't looking for a secret Nazi summer camp. I was looking for, no. you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I was looking for, you know, pizza parlor, ro- roller skating rink. And instead, uh, I stumbled upon this and I just, I was really shocked, not only by the fact that this camp had, had been there and that streets that I had driven down were once named Hitler Street. Like literally, those are the street names um, in or were the street names in Camp Siegfried but that the community had retained this connection to its German roots for so long, so that up until the 2010s, you were still not allowed to buy property there if you weren't of German descent. Mm -hmm. So it felt very alive still. And then, of course, while I was writing it, it was during Trump's re-election campaign. So the connection between some of the Nazi-era slogans and some of the Trump slogans Mm -hmm. were almost identical and it was just absolutely chilling and uh, you know I just felt um, that that was the thing I wanted to be writing right at that moment. Without spoilers could you tell us a little bit about the plot and themes of Camp Siegfried please? The play is set at Camp Siegfried summer of 1938 and it's um, a play that tells the story of two teenagers who are campers there and a boy and a girl And it's really about their experience of summer camp as they're being simultaneously experiencing all the things that teenagers experience at summer camps or typically, but at the same time being indoctrinated into a hateful ideology of xenophobia and anti-Semitism and anti-immigrant ideology masked as patriotism. Mm -hmm. It's about how they navigate both a personal awakening, a sexual awakening, and an ideological awakening all at the same time. It's such a vulnerable age, right? 
when you're seeking identity and acceptance. So you throw in some ideology and it's the perfect storm, really. Yeah, it really is. I keep having to remind myself as I'm working on the play, sort of what it felt like to be 16 and how intense everything felt. And that was just for me, you know, growing up in New York City outside of any sort of war or anything like that. So to imagine what it would have felt like for them and how confusing the world is at that time um, and then throw on that they're being lied to and manipulated by the people around them, the adults who are meant to be in power and meant to be authority figures. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying for them. And um, it just resonated so much, you know, with what we're going through now as a culture, how so many people are being indoctrinated into these hateful ideologies and the rise of, you know, the far right and the the way they're advancing their agenda. That's it, isn't it? Because it should feel mad that we're still as engrossed by this as we are. But you're right, there are these reflections that are still happening today and it remains really important to investigate and therefore I imagine kind of artistic catnip yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, I think, as you said, incredibly important to keep these things in the conversation and keep looking at them and keep talking about them and not assume like, oh, we've solved that. Mm-hmm. World War Two. we were the good guys. There's nothing complicated about, you know, our own history or, you know, Americans can, can often... I think, see themselves as um, removed from some of that. You know, our hands are clean, we're the Americans. And it's like, no. The British are very much there as well, I think. (laughs) Exactly. So I think it's really important to look at our history and and look at, you know, uh, our history of racism, anti-Semitism, and how these things can sort of hide in plain sight, even though it is scary and dangerous and provocative to bring them back into the conversation, I feel that it's necessary and worth taking the risk because if we don't, I think the danger is that we forget them and then they um, you know, continue to percolate and influence our lives. The day after Donald Trump was elected, our playground where my kids play in New York City was graffitied with um, swastikas and anti-Semitic graffiti everywhere, you know, a children's playground. It just felt that somehow this election had given permission Mm -hmm. to people to express these points of view and revealed how much they're still with us. And so that makes me feel like it's important to, to keep talking about them and looking at them. So what would you like viewers to come away from the play thinking about and talking about? Oh, it's such a good question. And I, I'm always very, cautious about ever prescribing what I want people to feel or think at the end of one of my plays Mm -hmm. because it's not up to me completely you know they come away with what they come away with but I I do feel that um part of what the play is sort of yearning towards and trying to say is that we have to be vigilant and sort of really look at ourselves carefully and at the communities that we're part of carefully to make sure that hate is not hiding within them, within ourselves. I hope that people come away with a, a sort of added awareness of how frightening and dangerous this kind of indoctrination can be and how it can exist in ways that we don't expect and in places where we least expect it. 
Exactly that. That's the thing with indoctrination and radicalization. It's insidious and it quite often disguises itself as something positive. And I'm sort of using little bunny ears there to get to people. You know, from our point of view, you go, oh, that wouldn't have been me. I would have, no, I'd have stood up. And it's like, would you? Would we? I don't know. It's a hard question, isn't it? I wonder that all the time. And especially in the making of this play, you know, we all hope that we would be the person who would run away or or take a stand. It's hard to know, I think, until you're in that situation. And, And so much of what we believe is affected by the people around us and what our parents taught us. And so, you know, I think it's our responsibility, knowing that, to teach our children well and influence the world in positive ways, because nobody can be a hero alone. It's it's a group effort of interdependence, which is why I love theater so much. You know, it's partly why it was so important to me to have this play be a live theater event where we could come back in person and be together because the play is about community in a certain way. It's about the dangers of community and hopefully by the act of sort of making it a play where we come together to witness this, it's also about the power of community to bear witness, to keep it in the conversation and to act differently in the future. Oh, that's glorious. I love that. And I would like to know then, how has it felt being back in your community? Oh gosh, it was a long, it was a long, a long, long time. I have three small children at home. So that was also um, a challenge during the (laughs) pandemic. Um, And, you know, I, I had a play on Broadway that closed about a week before Broadway shut down. It was a shock, I think, to everyone, a real shock. And, um, you know, it's been so painful to see all of the people who are out of work in theater. Uh, I mean, in every industry, but for me, the place I see it the most intimately is theater because that's where I work. Um, And to see, you know, all of the pain and suffering that it's caused has really been awful. And um, I just, I'm really eager to be back in the theater. I really hope that people do come back To me, it's showed how vital it is to gather. You know, sometimes you don't realize how important something is until it gets taken away for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly with the arts, I mean, the funding cuts from our government are just appalling because they're so important. It's how we get to talk to people, huge swathes of different demographics about really important topics such as this. It's art. That's that's what talks to us. I mean, I think we found in this pandemic that stories are really um, vital. We miss them when they're not there. And, um, you know, we can access them in other ways a little bit through our Netflix or through our, you know, TV. But it's the gathering. I mean, I've really just missed being with people in a way that, and I'm a writer, I'm an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even like people. (laughs) My God, are you trying to radicalize me? I won't have it. But, you know, it's really like it's very powerful being back here, being in rehearsal again and um, just having the opportunity to to gather people to tell a story, which is the thing I love to do the most. Are you sticking around in the UK for the premiere? You know, I, I'm going to be back, but I have to go back for the, the beginning of the school year with my kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is next week. And then I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully be back to see the show either at the opening or, or during the run. Do you get nervous about watching something new for the first time? Oh, terrified. Total, total terror. And especially something like this, you know, I've never, this is set in the 30s. It's a political play in a way that I haven't really done before. So it's really a departure for me in a lot of ways from the work that I've done before. It's, um, 
you know, politically provocative in ways that I, I haven't um, really dared to explore before. So uh, there's a lot of new things in this for me. It's really scary, but, you know, that's the whole point. Is that's part of the fun. <laughs> I guess so. I try to remind myself of that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, what? <laughs> Why did I do this? But most of the time, yeah, no, it really is part of the fun. And, it, and, and everyone here has been so incredibly um, supportive and brave and welcoming. And, you know, I couldn't do it without the cast who's so amazing, Luke and Patsy and Katie, who's been like just an absolutely incredible leader. Um, so it's really, it's been this uh, very beautiful group group undertaking. Well, I'm going to let you get back to them and put those finishing touches onto what sounds like a really exciting play. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. This was really fun. And I, uh, I can't wait to hear the full interview. Hello, I am joined on the old Zoom by Katie Rudd, Bayliss Director at the Old Vic, where she has been busy directing Camp Siegfried, among other projects. Katie, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. Thanks for joining me. I guess my first question has to be, what's it like to be back? It's amazing. It's really extraordinary to be back in a room with actors and a creative team and making something new, something that felt really impossible about six months ago so it's really feels wonderful yeah I think there was a hope that the pandemic and its associated lockdowns would lead to some let's call it fresh air when theatres reopened but also concerned that theatres would be understandably nervous about getting bums back on seats as well as broke and so play it safe how do you think across theatre it's panning out I've been pretty optimistic really I feel like of course there's some programming that's going on which is all about making people feel amazing and bringing people back in and that's right and absolutely what you know we should be doing but I also think theatre makers are feeling the need to kind of step in now and help in the way that they can we are good at bringing people together and we've been through so much in this last year that I think theatre makers are stepping up and saying let's talk about all the things that have happened during this year and let's start to help and heal people or challenge people and I think that's what theatre is really really good at so I'm optimistic that we're going to get a lot of programming that will do exactly that. I like your optimism I don't think we've ever needed it more. So Camp Siegfried is a new play written by a woman and directed by a woman. I mean, ding, 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 jackpot as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a a pretty big female creative team as well, actually. A designer, lighting designer, um, movement director. Very lucky. Is it quite unusual to be in a room filled with women in that way? It can be, yeah. And in in my um, assisting career, I've been in a lot of, uh very male rooms um and but again i think a lot's changed and it's had a pause chance to look at itself and really think about representation diversity and i think it's really trying and working hard at that really the people in the room are the best best people and i'm very excited and lucky to work with them 
You mentioned earlier as well that you think theatre should be challenging. And uh, so, yeah, let's talk about Camp Siegfried, <laughs> which was a real place. Had you heard of it before? I hadn't, no. I hadn't heard of it until I got sent the play and looked it up. and was kind of astonished that this camp really existed on Long Island in the 30s. Talk to me about that moment you got Bess's script. What made you excited to direct it? She's just such a phenomenal writer. She really, really is. I mean, when you read her scripts, it's a bit like sunbathing. Just the dialogue is so good and the characters kind of jump off the page. It's got such a strong voice, which is really hard to find, you know. But it's funny and alive and it feels really truthful and I just loved it as soon as I read it. On a technical note, because this is a, a two-hander, what are the joys and, of course, the flip side, the most tricksy bits of directing a pretty intense two-hander? Yeah, it's it's really exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, the play I um, did before this was Ocean at the End of the Lane, which is a Neil Gaiman adaptation, and it's it's got a big cast and huge creative teams. I'm used to kind of juggling lots of, you know, multiple rehearsal rooms, multiple rehearsals going from character to scene to scene and checking back in with lots of people. And that that's exhausting. But this is exhausting in a kind of different way. It's really, really intense. We've got two amazing actors, Patsy Ferrin and Luke Thalon, and um, they work so, so hard. So, you know, I absolutely have to be <laughs> leading that all the time. The days are long, like longer than, you know, when you're jumping from things and touch it, you know, touching on moments and moving on. It's it's really intense and they push me and I push them. And yeah, it's been a really joyous process. I imagine the subject matter, which is like this, this young, innocent life ahead of them couple getting consumed by Nazi ideology is exhausting to deal with as well. It is. We've done lots of research and we're really kind of um, digging into that. But of course, that means that you're going into places that are really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and looking at things you wouldn't normally be exposed to. And, and yeah, it, it's intense, but really important that you do that to give it the integrity that it needs. Yeah, I think we're in this too comfortable situation where most of us go, oh, well, if that was me, I'd have totally not fallen for it. I wouldn't have got involved. And, and it is. I think it's important to show... Mm-hmm how easily and how willingly people got involved with that ideology or ideologies like that because they were so convincing. Exactly. And, you know, it's a play about different forms of love. It's about infatuation and it's about indoctrination and how those three things can be toxic. And I think of the play as well as about a warning. You know, it's, it's about how hatred can spread in plain sight, you know, we're living in this kind of increasingly polarised world yep. of alternative facts where truth is the first casualty and outright lies, even in the government, are acceptable. And it has echoes for today. It's very different, but it's important to think about and to to look at. Yeah. I'm really pleased you brought up love because it isn't your straightforward girl meets boy scenario, is it? <laughs> Not, no. In lots of ways, each of the scenes explores a different facet of love infatuation that kind of teenage excitement of the beginning of a relationship the breakdown of a relationship it it sort of stems the whole play and I think that's 
quite a lot what Bess is dealing with in the play. But it's really interesting to look at love through the eyes of young people and first love, because I do think you sort of test it all, don't you? You try mm -hmm. out, like, I think one of the characters is really trying to work out what love is. And maybe this is love. Okay, no, that's not love. Then maybe this is. <laughs> and yeah, she's like desperate for a kind of pure feeling, like, which is a very teenage, isn't it? I want absolute love <laughs> and she's testing to see and, and that's a very relatable human thing yeah. to desire and it's something that we have especially when we're teenagers and wide-eyed I think you're quite generous to say it's teenage I certainly probably was still guilty of that into my late 20s early 30s before yeah you, do, you think you're just, gonna, you're just gonna know I'll know when it's the one and it's like actually it's uh, it's a bit more complicated than that as is identity and acceptance and they are huge themes within Camp Siegfried as well I think again really timely there's so much about identity and belonging we all struggle through it within our lives and, and throughout our lives but particularly when we're teenagers and we're trying to work out who we are in the world yeah I, I mean I remember being a teenager and feeling like you sort of stood on the precipice of your life you, and you're you're gonna jump but you don't have a clue which way <laughs> and it feels like that's where these two people are and obviously they're in a really exceptional circumstance but what they're actually going through in terms of who am I what do I want like you know those are very human <laughs> teenage things yeah and they're, they're just like any anyone else in that respect and we're so still so vulnerable and susceptible to kind of ideology and suggestion at that age. And again, I'm being generous. I think, I think it extends beyond our teenage years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I suppose when you're a teenager, your self-esteem is very low, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, you look for things to to help that and to give you some sort of clear direction and purpose rules anything that will help this huge void inside yourself feel um like it gives you some sort of foothold uh, i think it's absolutely what's going on for them in this play yeah just to, to any teenagers listening i would just say i mean don't fill that hole with nazi ideology but really really wise <laughs> Yeah. So, Katie, you were very kindly spared us some time in your lunch hour in the middle of rehearsals. So what else are you up to? I'm going straight from this to direct the West End transfer for Ocean at the End of the Lane. Exciting. Is a yeah, Neil Gaiman adaptation. So it's kind of sci-fi fantasy on stage. It couldn't be more different to this. <laughs> um, but it's really exciting to be able to have another chance to bring that to audiences. Katie, thank you so much for chatting to me and good luck with it all. Thanks so much. Standard issue for all women.